Hi, welcome to Dyslexia Explored, where we discover dyslexia stories from ordinary people who have made it through the high school years and found their thing. We're here for you as parents and tutors who are helping teenagers or tweenagers get through the high school years with their confidence intact and find their thing in life. Today I have a parent of a dyslexic who is a dyslexia blogger, life coach and also marketing consultant. And he's going to share a little bit about his story about his biggest challenge was what happened when he read his daughter's dyslexia assessment. And it might surprise you that that was the biggest challenge and not getting through the school because the school was great with the daughter's dyslexia on the whole. So may I introduce to you John Hicks. John, it is great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, well, thanks for inviting me. It's really good to be doing um, to having this discussion with you. So thanks. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. I've heard little bits of it. So for our audience, tell us where your dyslexia story began. Ah, uh, well, I suppose it's it's a bit weird actually. Um, if it's, I, I, I have a quote in my head actually from a Doctor Who episode where where the Doctor Who says that time is a little bit squiggly wiggly, and the reason I say that is because my my story really kind of started six years ago, um, with my daughter's diagnosis, but what what happened at that point was it threw me back probably another twenty five years in terms of understanding my own story through education and so forth. So um, where the starting point is, is really interesting because obviously my, my, in terms of my own development and my own emotional development and understanding myself, um, that, that started a, long, a longer time ago than, than obviously six years ago when my daughter had a diagnosis. But let me, let me tell you a bit about what happened um, and that might be a bit, bit clearer. So... Um, so about seven years ago, I was in a job where I was a director of a company and um, and doing very well with the work that I was doing. I was using my skills as a sales and marketing guy to to bring the company up to the highest levels of its sales for, for in 40 years that it's been going. And we had a change of MD and um, and things got a little bit political and I was asked to... Um, it basically express what I do or what I was doing in that job in, in a way that they could understand. And in a way at the time it kind of squeezed me into this situation where I was trying to think like them and not being allowed to think like myself. And that caused a bit of um, a bit of a problem for me. And I didn't really understand what was happening. Um, and, and eventually I d- decided to leave the company because we, we just couldn't get it sorted out. And so I had some time off and um, around about that time, we had this um, situation going on with my daughter where um, all the way through her primary school years, she would, she would say that she didn't like reading, but she would love to listen to stories being read to her. She loved stories um, and she loved characters and, and so forth, but, she, but she'd always say that she didn't like reading. And... Um, at the point where I had my stuff going on, um, she was in um, her second year of secondary school, so she was 12, 
And um, we had a situation where a friend of ours asked my daughter if she would read out a Bible passage in church. So you've got this um, this kid who we'd always thought, okay, doesn't like reading. Um, and then a good friend is saying, will you do something for me? And she wants to help him, but she's got to stand up in front of 70 people. And, and basically she had an emotional breakdown and she was really upset about um, the fact that she wanted to help, but, but couldn't. And there was a whole load of emotion going on. And it just said to me and my wife that actually this wasn't a child who was reluctant to read because it was like a, a studying thing and studying's not fun um, or that she was trying to be awkward or lazy or whatever. This was a child who was really quite, there's something quite deep and fundamental going on who was risking embarrassing herself, actually. I think that was what the issue was. And um, and it occurred to us that maybe this was something like dyslexia going on. Mm. And so, yeah, it was really interesting. And we uh, went to went to her school and we, we asked her, asked the school, you know, we think Jess might be struggling with reading. What do you think? And, and the school said, well, Jess is passing everything. So she she'll be fine. She she's going to pass the GCSEs. We know she is. She she's clever enough. Um, she's probably just going to be like a you know a C grade pass level student. But that's fine. I mean, she'll get through. Um, good and, enough, as it were. Yeah, good good enough to get through the education system. But there was something about that that Jess wasn't happy about. Um, we weren't happy about that kind of attitude really and and when we said well look we think she's dyslexic can't you do an assessment or something and they said well no we don't think that she's bad enough to to put any effort in um we 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 have kids that are really severely dyslexic and they need the support and Jess doesn't need that support she will pass um and we were kind of like a bit oh not really happy about that and and they said well look if you can if you can prove that she's dyslexic then we will um put put the resources in place to support her so we came away and we took her to um, an organization called dyslexia action who uh, at the time um, had an office in peterborough which is close to where we live and they did an, an assessment on her and they they discovered that she had dyslexia and um, had listed a lot of the traits and lots of the challenges that she was experiencing and that's where things kicked off for me because that set us off on a path of negotiating support for our daughter in school. But at the point when I read her report, the weirdest thing happened to me. I read through the report and it it flashed me back 25, 30 years through my schooling. And in many regards, that report described a lot of the challenges that I had at school. This is a classic scenario, isn't it, of how many fathers... uh... Um, parents, mothers have discovered that they are dyslexic through their teenager, often in teenage years, like happened with Spielberg, for example. Mm. He just re- realized he was dyslexic, I think, only 10 years ago when his teenage teenager got um, assessed. That's that's really interesting. It set a number of things in motion for me. Um, ironically, at the time, because I was out of work at that point, I had an opportunity to um, do some marketing work for an assistive technology company 
who had a couple of products that they wanted me to help them market. And one of them was a, was a type of product that I was very familiar with, which was um, technology that's not too dissimilar to the, the technology that Stephen Hawking's used to communicate. So like a, a, a mini computer, you type into it or find a way of typing in what you want to say. I was actually working with the guy that um, built Stephen Hawking's equipment. Oh, okay. And so it's kind of kind of really interesting introduction for me um, into assistive technology, which was very new to me. Uh, my background's chemistry, so I was you know I was doing sales and marketing. I was doing that from two thousand and nine. I've spoken to you in the past, and you said no, I'm not dyslexic, but you're suspecting that you are because you're seeing lots of similarities. Yeah, so it would be wrong of me to, to at this stage to say yes, I'm dyslexic, and um, I would describe myself as neurodiverse. Um, my my issues with um, what I found with, with any kind of study, and I'm studying now. I'm, I'm training to be a therapeutic counselor, and um, and what I what I notice is if I if I have to do any kind of study and sit down and read. Um, I, I actually struggle to process what I'm reading. So I can read a sheet of paper and read it very eloquently. So I don't have any of the visual stress aspects that often comes when people are dyslexic. Um, but my issues are one of um, being able to process what I'm reading. And I'm often having to reread stuff to, to get it into my head. And it takes me a while to, to process information and be able to work off that information. When I was working as a director of a company in a boardroom, having to process information and accounts and and lengthy reports and so forth, um, that was a real challenge for me. And and I think what I've learned in in my work as a um, as a life coach, coaching young people and adults with dyslexia, um, I've I've noticed that um, there, there there is a wake up element. There's there's a there's a, almost a barrier that you hit, and it may be that you know, like for Jess, her dyslexia kicked in when she got to secondary school. She was able to get through primary school and and hide it. She gets to secondary school, and the level of work increased so much that the dyslexia became a problem. the The other day, I was talking to a, a new client who um, works for an accountancy firm. And the only reason I'm um, going to work with her is because she declared that she was dyslexic to her firm. And they said, right, we want to give you coaching for that. Um, and the, uh, and she has a degree at, degree at Cambridge and, um, and, and she knows that she struggles with processing and so forth. But, but she has been able to get through a degree at Cambridge, which is awfully challenging but she's done that so um and i and i work with doctors as well who are finding out at a very late stage in their lives about some newer diversity that's getting in their way so john back to the story mm. what was the big challenge the challenge that you personally had to face or jess had to face or the family had to okay, face okay well we were very 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 fortunate because once we got the um diagnosis in place the school were very, very keen to support us. And whilst there were there were mm-hmm. a few kind of ball-dropping moments, um, there was a lot of um, negotiating and having meetings and working in partnership with the school. And we, we were fortunate. I, I know with um, a lot of parents that I work with that, that there are some schools that aren't putting the effort in. Um, so, so I'm very grateful that once we got the support in place, the reasonable adjustments could be identified from the report 
and my daughter was was flying through school and she's done very well and she's currently doing a musical theatre degree at the moment in London so we're very pleased with with the way things have gone for her brilliant this sounds like a shout out opportunity those quiet heroes that actually do these things in the background like schools and teachers anyone you you would mention any the school name and well so on. I, I i do want to say a, a huge thank you to sawston village college which is where my daughter went to school it, it felt like we, we, all, we all worked on a on a learning process together and um and there, there were some issues but on the whole they they were brilliant at supporting jess and and actually the the school itself was very very big on nurturing strengths and for, for jess her strengths were surrounded around drama and music and singing and and they absolutely just pushed her um in an area that she was passionate about so um while she had all the other subjects to do as well um I, I did get the feeling that um she felt very supported by the school um on the whole there were a few moments but um on the whole the the end result was was brilliant and um we we were very pleased and, and Jess has been able to move on to, to better things for herself. So, so what, what would you say was a challenge in all of that? So it wasn't the school particular. No, the, the challenge really was me. Was the you? challenge was me because, um, and this is what, um, something that, that drives me because it was a real interesting insight. So when I checked her report, that reminded me of a load of stuff that happened to me when I was at school. Um, and I, uh, you know, I'm 46 now, and in the, in those 46 years, I've I've been um, I've had problems with self-esteem. I've been diagnosed with depression, and and I've never really been able to work out where that's come from. And um, that report started gave me some huge clues as to why things didn't seem to add up. Why would I put so much effort into studying, um, only to find that my attainment wasn't very high? Um, you know, why is it that I could sit in a classroom and people around me would get concepts really quickly or they would know stuff that I'm pretty sure that I'd never heard before in my life? But what really happened, it had gone over my head. I'd missed it. I realized that all of those experiences shaped the way that I behaved around people in my professional life as well. So, And, and there's, there were some real high points. So in terms of the self-esteem, I would always put other people on a pedestal and, and I would not promote myself or, or want to come over as cocky or confident or whatever. And, and I realized when I moved into a sales role, that that was actually quite a good thing because my customers wouldn't feel threatened by the the sales guy in the room trying to sell them something. I was keen to help fix problems for them with the products that I had. Um, and, and as a result, I got awards for my sales because um, I was getting repeat business because people knew that I was there to help rather than to sell. So there are, there are some real benefits and that, that kind of fall out from having, from having neurodiversity or being dyslexic. But I, but but what it did do for me was it made me kind of like um assess where I'd come from and and try and then start to understand some of the feelings I had about myself and given that I'd left a, a job where I've, I it kind of felt like I'd failed even though I hadn't um just leaving under that cloud um put me into a lower a, a kind of a deeper level of depression about myself um 
that I'd I'd kind of never been to before. And so I've got a lot of help with with a counsellor and been kind of working that through and, and, and thinking that through. And I'm quite comfortable with all that now. And but what it what it struck me was that actually, my goodness, you know, if I am dyslexic, then I'm only mildly dyslexic and um and I've kind of got through. But um I, I I work with parents online on, on my um, Facebook group called Parenting Dyslexia, um, and I talk to parents from time to time through that group. and And I've had some parents tell me that you know their their partners can't even walk into school to talk about their child's dyslexia because they they're so it's so emotionally painful for them. Yeah, and and so then you've got a situation there where. Um, You've got parents who who can't talk about a really really important aspect of a child's life. So you you question then what what, what effect does that have on the child? Yeah. How does that affect support? How does that affect the relationship between parents and teachers as they're trying to work out what the right support is? Because you're seeing there in that moment of when the child gets identified like Jess, you saw like what would happen in the future if it doesn't get dealt with, is what you're experiencing. So you're seeing the future and the present all at once in both the child and the parent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think, um, I mean, interestingly for me, because um, I had a background in sales, um, I knew how to conduct myself and be objective in, in meetings with people. So yeah. so any anything that I was feeling emotionally, I was able to kind of compartmentalize and put to one side so yeah. that, in my negotiations, I made it about Jess and not about me. It didn't become personal. It didn't become personal. And I, and, and I know for some parents that they will sit in front of a teacher trying to sort out support and there'll be something about the teacher that will remind them of a teacher they had when they were younger. Yes. And, 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 that, and that thought can then result in, in behavior. You, you react to the thought. You, you'll have a feeling associated with that. And that might transcribe through to a, be, a behavior. Um, and it's no surprise that you can get some parents who go into school and, they, and they're, they're shouting down the teachers um, because they're, they're, not, they're not really angry about what's going on for their kid. It, maybe they're angry about something that's personal to them and, yes. and, and they're processing it inappropriately in front of a teacher but that has a knock-on effect in terms of the support for the child. It does. So, so that that's kind of that was the wake-up moment for me. Was 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 oh okay, something's going on for me. I need to deal with my my stuff, and that needs to be dealt with offline from from the the situation of my daughter's dyslexia, and I need to be able to work with schools objectively to to fix a problem, fix a challenge. And um, and it not get personal. The wake up moment, Jess, the, that Bible reading, and then the uh, assessment, and then the challenge was actually you and your reaction to it, and everything that it stirred back up. So, what kind of reward did it lead to for you? What what did you gain from that? Well, what did I gain from that? Well, probably the the biggest thing that I've gained from this is is, is a sense of purpose. Okay. It. I, I have been able to um, have the time. I've been very fortunate in that in in my work um, part time as a marketing consultant for for um, a, another assistive technology company, 
um, I've had time to really research dyslexia and to write blog articles about that. And they, they've funded that time. Um, and I've had a real, it was probably about two or three, two or three years ago, I started to think, well, actually, yeah, there, there, there is something really important here that isn't being talked about um, in the mainstream of dyslexia. Um, you know, I, I can see a lot of people talking about the challenges of, of dyslexia in school and, and, and what we can do to help with study skills and so forth. Um, I can see um, the positive dyslexia brigade, if you like, talking about some of the real um, positive creative sides of and, and the strengths of being dyslexic. And, uh, and I love all of that. But what there's not a lot of talk about is the emotional impact of dyslexia on the person mm. that has it and mm. how that affects self-esteem and how that affects motivation. Um, I, I, I work, um, I deliver group coaching programs to um, kids who are close to exclusion in schools. And, um, and I'm, I'm now, I'm lucky enough that I can sit with these kids and I can see their behaviors. I can see what they're doing and, and I can start to kind of say, yeah, this isn't a kid that's misbehaving. This, this is a, a child who's using bad behavior to communicate they're struggling. Yes. And so you're now in the place where it's not just been a, a reward, rewarding for you, but you're now bringing something you've gained and giving it to to folk. And tell me more about this. So, so what? Another shout out opportunity, I think. So, are schools bringing you, paying you, or bringing you in as a coach and so on to help out? Yeah. So, so I I, I have a, a group coaching. Um, program called the career compass which i wrote um i i wrote it six years ago and interestingly um it was always about um wanting to help young people um develop a sense an understanding of what their personal values are what's important to them in their lives um, mm. but also to develop some kind of self-awareness about how they're feeling now um how that affects their behavior and and how they want to feel in the future so yeah. is this specifically for dyslexics or, or it sounds like it's for everyone? It, it can be applied to everyone. Um, my, um, my heart uh, makes me want to work with kids who are close to exclusion in schools. Okay. So, yeah. so and that, that's where I, where I um, aim it. Um, the thing is about that group of kids in a school is that um, statistically seven out of 10 of those kids are going to have some kind of special educational need. Yes. So I'm just trying to get my head around all the things you do now, John, at the end of this story. You, you're, um, well, give us a rundown. What are all the things that you're doing at the moment? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, okay. Um, so you've identified this, the reward is a purpose, and you're um, now, you know, following up on that purpose in doing lots of different things. Tell me more. Yeah. So you've got a okay. blog? So I have, a, I have the Studying with Dyslexia blog, which is the aim of that is to provide inspiration and inspir and information to supporters of dyslexic learners so i will on that blog i'll be sharing information about um practices that could happen in schools that could be um posts about understanding dyslexia and neurodiversity um okay. I'll, I'll, I'll even write articles about self-esteem and motivation in school and so forth so that's really useful for parents and tutors and maybe even teachers because they're most most of our listeners are parents and tutors and is that teenage years or 
younger yeah. years. That that's aimed at secondary school um, and and that's up to un- undergraduates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So brilliant. Um, so this is really um, the the thing for me is that um, for for our kids to be able to work through their own dyslexia journey or, or whatever's going on that, that stops them from engaging at school. Um, they they need to be empowered to have the space to work out what's happening and so as parents and as teachers we need to understand what we need to do to get out of their way so that they can work on these issues for themselves and we mm. you know i've got a picture in my head now of a, of a green shoot coming out of the earth and and yeah we, we if we if we're growing the beans in the garden we'll be trying to put the right nutrients in and watering the flowers and you know watering the beans and whatnot that that's the kind of thing we need to do and and so often we're, we're telling kids what they they should be doing and so forth so um I'm, I'm trying to raise awareness of what's happening with dyslexia in school um and also i'm trying to provide resources and 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 collate resources that i find online so um if i see a really good article by a, a, a charity such as the british dyslexia association then i'll be sharing that information um if there's good events going on that i'll be listing uk dyslexia events um and there's a whole ton of charities that I and and resources that I list on the blog as well. So it, it's a good it's a good place to go if you're looking for maybe like the top line information surrounding studying with dyslexia. And it's still relevant to our listeners in America and Australia and so on as well. It's all it's all cross country. Uh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So that's you that. Coach? So I coach as well. So I um I've been coaching for six years now and i currently work in schools with my group coaching program that i mentioned earlier Um, but i also also work as a strategy coach in the workplace for adults with with neurodiversities like the doctor and so on that you mentioned yeah they're all they're all part of working um, as an associate with, with an organization called genius within who is a great organization that provides workplace coaching um looking at aspects of um, being able to concentrate or, or time management and planning, but from a neurodiverse, neurodiverse perspective. So, you know, we, we recognize that if, if you're dyslexic, your view of time, for example, might be very different to someone who's neurotypical. Goodness me, don't I know it? Don't I know it? <laughs> so, <laughs> like, like a lot of the parents listening right now will be thinking I'm listening to this to hear some sort of inspiring story or interesting story that can encourage me uh, with my teenager uh, or child who's facing high school, like preteen, tween. Mm -hmm. But what you're bringing up here, which is a big message, I think, in this podcast, which is actually it'll probably throw up quite a lot of stuff for us as parents. And it's not just an awareness thing that's needed, but sometimes we might need a bit of life coaching or coaching or like you mentioned counseling even for some of the things that it brings up yeah let me define a difference between coaching and counseling because that's really important oh my wife's a life coach and she's very keen on making that distinction so yes please do yeah so i I see coaching uh, because i'm like say i'm studying to be a therapeutic counselor as well so um coaching is is when you want to make a change in your life and you want um inspiration if you like to be able to find a strategy that can help you make that change yeah um now there might be a whole number of reasons why you want to make that change there might be a whole number of emotional and um, psychological reasons why that change needs to happen um 
counseling is about understanding what's going on in the background for you with your own psychological pain yeah so for example um in, in my own counseling i i explored a lot about my um neurodiversity and my self-esteem and how they were linked um, but my coaching that i've experienced is is maybe about um maybe changing around self-defeating beliefs so uh, you know for a while I, I i thought i had to be employed by one employer and and that and that was really important because it has to pay the bills and of course it has to pay the bills but what i was missing was wanting to work to my potential so I had, so I shifted my priorities, but I had to shift the way I thought. Um, and coaching is really good at looking at things in a different way, and and being able to um, tackle challenges and problems in your life um, in, from a different perspective because you've got someone sat with you who can help you to think differently. So often we don't articulate what we think, and it just bombs. It just kind of circles around in our heads, and we get we don't get anywhere with it. So just get getting it out on the table with someone who's and professionally trained to to help you to think differently um it gives you a, a perspective and a distance from the emotions that you're maybe tackling as well and and to be able to say okay well this is what's what's happening this is what's holding you back what's the, what's the different way we can look at it how do you feel about that if we looked at it from this this perspective and what do you need to do to get there and let's plan that yeah This podcast is sponsored by DyslexiaProductivityCoaching.com, which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for Apple devices. John, you're really making me think twice about some of those bottled up emotions from my primary years and dyslexia and so on. But we'll we'll not go there just now, but (laughs) it's certainly making me think. And I'm sure many of the listeners might be thinking, I I might need to go to someone to talk this through a bit. So I'm going to move on to our second section. So learning, how do you learn, John? You know, I'm fascinated by the different ways different people learn. What what were some learning moments? And rather than just generalities, I, I find it really interesting speaking to different guests and asking this question because they might say, oh, yes, there was this person or there was a course I did or a talk or this event or an experience. What, what learning moments did you have in this journey that kind of stood out for you? Okay. So, um so it probably doesn't need to be articulated, but learning was hard for me um, when I did my GCSEs and my, I, I did BTECs and eventually a degree in chemistry part time. Um, it took a long time. I was 29 when I graduated. So, wow. um, so, so learning. Well, was, well, well, thank you. It was a bit of a slog, but and uh, there was a big gap in the middle somewhere. But um, so learning was always exhausting and for me and um, like I say it, I'd have to look at things two or three times to get there now since I've been working in the assistive technology space um, that's really opened up a load of stuff for me um, about how um, technology can be really useful in learning and I've got to thank Jess for this actually because um, we went on a workshop once where we um, we walked into the workshop and we were doing this together and there, on, on the big whiteboard, there's a whole ton of text that, that the um, workshop leader had written a load of stuff down that we needed to copy down. And I got my notepad out and I started writing and um, I looked at my daughter and she got her phone out and she took a picture of it. And I kind of stopped and looked at her and looked at what I was doing. And I realized I was sat there getting stressed about writing stuff down and, um, 
rather than perhaps enjoying the content that was on the board. She used her photographic memory. Well, I used her mo- mobile phone. <laughs> yeah, I call that my photographic memory. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. I have a photographic memory. I just hold it in my pocket. It's not in my brain. Yeah, yeah. My organisational brain is in that phone as well. Yeah. Um, so, so, and that that really made me think about how technology is used. So, it, it's kind of interesting. We have a lot of schools that that ban mobile phones for yeah. obvious reasons. But then you think, well, what if you could say to a kid, actually, there's a lot of stuff on that board. Why don't you just take a picture of that, and we'll just talk about the content. Yeah. And um, and so currently on my on my course at the moment that I'm doing. Um, it's really funny. I, there's twenty. There's about twenty of us in the room, and we walk in, and the whiteboard is already. The lecturer has already written down a load of stuff, and probably for the first ten minutes of the session, um, everyone is sat there writing down and trying to quickly write down what they see on the board. And um, and I walk in with my um, with whether it's a, my phone or, or my tablet, and I just take a picture of it, and I and I use a piece of software called Microsoft OneNote, which I love for studying. And um, I put the picture into this um, Microsoft OneNote, which is like a glorified notebook on a, on a tablet or a PC. It enables me to refer back to my notes, and I can look at that picture and I can read what the content is in seconds without stressing about have I got everything written down. Yeah. Um, and th- and that's that's such a simple way of using technology. What what learning moment? So that was a learning moment with Jess when she whipped out the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What other uh, moments? I'm really interested in it being like a moment that we're okay. So um, well, here's another one. It's um, but I'll express it from the perspective of a pupil that I met recently, rather than my own moment. Um, okay. I um, I I know I know that. Um, you're obviously a big fan of mind mapping yeah uh, as am i and one of the things that i love is mind mapping software that, that enables me to get out ideas onto a screen in a non-linear way so uh, if you're writing an essay that's um often you 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 pull up Microsoft Word and you start typing the essay and you go, okay, introduction, this is what I'm going to talk about. Here's the next chapter. Here's the next bit, next bit, next bit. Um, a lot of dyslexic brains don't think in those terms. Yeah. Um, and um, mind mapping is a, a wonderful way of getting ideas out. So it may be that you're, the idea that comes out first is probably the, the third thing that should go into your document. God, I know it. Yeah. And, and your brain's jumping around all over the place, but, and and you and you have to get those things out in in the order that your brain chugs it out rather yeah. than the way someone else wants you to do it. Yeah. So so I um I found that by by using um a piece of software I, I like a piece of software called MindView. MindView, which is a, a great piece of software for me if I'm writing particularly long blog posts or if I'm writing essays I'll um I'll put my ideas down into a mind map on MindView, um and the different chapters or the different sections. And uh, they won't necessarily be in order. They'll just be dumped into this mind map. And and then I'll I'll write the text that I want to put associated with those ideas into the mind map. And um, and then you can convert that into a Word document and, and your essay or whatever is written because the titles are taken from the mind map and so forth. And it's all formatted. Um, it's a great way of 
um, focusing firstly on on the ideas that you want to put out. Don't worry about spelling and grammar. Just get the stuff down. Don't just get the ideas out and have a bit of fun. Um, and then you can convert that into a Word document. And then you can use a piece of software like, um, for me, I would use um, Sprint Plus, which is what I mentioned earlier, to to proofread the document, get it to be read out to me. And, and then I can listen for mistakes and so forth and make the appropriate changes. So back to the child? What, so, what, how, what so the child, yeah. yeah. So I, so I went to, to a school in Cambridge where I was doing a, a trial um, of mind mapping software and, and Sprint Plus. And um, this child came in and she, she was like not engaged. She had a mobile phone in her hand and she was fiddling with that not really it was it was like a special needs um study group and she wasn't really interested in what we had to say and she was just sat there and i started going through the motions i did some mind mapping by hand on a whiteboard and we say who's familiar with this concept and they all put their hands up great but have you seen it on a computer and and so i showed them how to do a mind map on on my laptop um and then i converted it into a word document uh, which is a just a one button press and this girl put the phone down and she went, that is sick. Oh, brilliant. Um, and, and, and I got her attention. Uh-huh. For whatever it was about it, for her, that was like, oh, my goodness, I, I don't have to struggle when I'm writing an essay. I can just go bang, bang, bang. There's the ideas. Now, now I'll put it into my Word document. Now I'll check spelling and grammar now that I've got to communicate it properly. Um, and I can do it in, in a fraction of the time that maybe I'll, I would have been doing it if I was stressing over it. Brilliant, John. So that segues into the next question. What has been your experience of mind mapping throughout this journey? You know, what, what's your experience of mind mapping? Um, yeah, I, I use it a lot. And when I did use you it... start? I mean, was it, when did you first encounter it? How did you encounter it, et cetera? Okay, well, that job I told you about that I ended up leaving. Um, yeah. A colleague of mine um, mentioned mind mapping to me, and that was literally the first time I'd ever really heard of it. Uh-huh. And um, and so I, I started playing with different, um, uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not a drawer, I'm not creative in that regard necessarily. So having it on my computer screen and being able to just play with ideas is really useful. Um, and and having a piece of software doing it in, in its own format is is good because it kind of allows me to work within that format. So, so I was doing doing you that. You were quite doing a it bit. on computer right from the start, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it meant that if I if I was trying to think of a marketing campaign and what I needed to do, um, I could I could just kind of blurt out everything that needed to be part of that marketing campaign, and um, and that's what I would do. And then. Um, at the time, I didn't realize that I could then convert that into a Word document. So um, I, w- I would then take the mind map that I'd put together on the screen and or sometimes I would write them down. And, um, and then I would go, great, okay, that's my inspiration for this piece of work I need to put together. And, um, and I would do it that way. Um, and then since then, as time's gone on, um, and now in my own work now, if I'm writing long essays or um, long blog posts, that that's an approach I will take. If I'm if I'm feeling like there's a block for me, I need to write about something, but there's a block. It's often some kind of anxiety about having to write a lot of text. Um, I'll just simply play with a mind map, um, and um, increasingly, actually, 
whilst I, I do that on my computer and, and um, on my PC and, and just put that in place, what I've, um, what I'm a really big fan of is using tablet technology and, and mm-hmm. a pen and a, and a stylus. Oh yeah. I to, love my tablet writing yeah. on my tablet now having the hybrid. You I too. Do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, um, I used to hate handwriting when I was at school because yeah. I was, I was forced to write between very, very, very small lines on oh, a page. Yes, yes. Um, and what I love about tablets is, um, and I've come, I've just recently bought myself a Microsoft surface go, uh-huh. um, which is a 10 inch um, tablet, which has all the Microsoft software on it. And, um, and within one note, um, I, I can use the pen to, to expand the screen slightly so I can write my words um, larger than I would do on a piece of paper um, and then, then make it small again while I do the other parts and so forth. So, so I can get a lot of information into um, onto my screen because I can expand it and and reduce it. That's an interesting thing because I used to be a primary school teacher and um, when you're writing often, it's easier to write big. Yeah. And and it, and often, if you're a messy writer, like dyslexics often are, um, when you're writing big, it, it it's less messy, more comprehensible, and then you can just shrink it back down to the usual size. So you just zoom in on the paper, write big, knowing that uh, when you zoom back to normal, it'll be normal size writing, and it actually looks neater too because you've written big and it's yeah been shot down. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's more. It's almost a work of art more than handwriting. Um, and and I love it. I, I do. I, I I sit in lectures. Uh, I sit in. If I go to conferences, I'm sat there and people are staring at me, and I'm and I'm writing what looks like massive letters on a screen. Yes. And and, and but the end result is I've got a ton of information that I've been able to pick up. And what's more for me, that working like that, it's just not stressful. Do you also map like that? Do you, do you map by hand on your tablets? And, and oh, um, oh yes, no, absolutely, yeah. So if I'm if I'm just if I'm on a, if I'm on a train or if I'm trying to work out what it is that I'm tackling, then I'll very happily sit there and I'll draw a circle and I'll, I'll put my first topic in there and then I'll, I'll I'll draw a little line off it and and another circle and then because I can expand the screen, I can fill that circle with whatever I want to put into it. So what's your experience like? I'm intrigued because. You know, I, I, I sometimes love computer mapping and sometimes love hand and I see the limits and then I like writing a map, but then there's limits on writing a map and there's this sort of interplay between the two. Sometimes one's better than the other. What's your kind of experience of that whole writing? And you've got that three experiences, really mapping on paper, mapping on tablet and mapping on a program. Yeah. Well, um, in terms of paper now, um, I, I don't. I try to use a completely paperless system. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will lose bits of paper and I don't stick to any one notepad. So it's quite possible that I'm, um, I'll write in one notepad and then I'll put it down pick up another notepad and write in that for something else. And then, uh, and there's no easy way of finding information. So this is why I, I, I now do all of my, my writing, handwriting, um, within, um, Microsoft OneNote. Yeah. Um, and I can do my drawing in there. So, yeah. so, I, so if I'm if I'm wanting to just sit, say, not in an office environment, and just sit on a sofa at home and think about some ideas, then I'll very happily sit there and do a mind map about ideas, 
uh, about something I might want just to draw achieve. It out, doodle it just out. Just draw it out. Yeah. 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 And actually, yeah. and actually, I'll doodle all over it. I'll color bits in. Yeah. I've I've got a whole range of pen colors that I can use. Yeah. Um, there's so many different options, and and I I I use it to enjoy trying to tease out ideas. Yes. You kind of revel in it. You just sort of yeah, play yeah. with it and so on. And and that's one of the aspects of learning for us dyslexics that's so important and creative people is to have that space to just enjoy and and play and but not to lose it. You know, because sometimes we can sit down and think about things and so on, but then the thought has passed and it's not had an imprint on some on the Absolutely. earth, as it were, you know. And Absolutely. having yeah, yeah. a way of just jotting it down quickly like that's great. Yeah, and and that's what I do, and I I know that, um, I, I know that I can pull out my tablet and I'll know where that information's gone, and um, I can look at my mind maps, and then if I want to take that to maybe a bit something a bit more elaborate, then I'll go onto my PC and and then use the mind map to to plan stuff, some sort of written work, and yeah, output yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and um. And what's really nice is when you're when you're planning, um, you know, events and so forth. You can use mind mapping software to then uh, turn your mind map into um, a Gantt chart, for example, because you can put time elements onto them. Onto yeah, yeah, each. yeah. So, so it's actually a really powerful tool to go from a very what looks like a very non-linear, very almost disorganized way of working out ideas. Yes. And then, and then you can change the view, and you can go, okay, well now I need to do that idea by by next thursday at 10 o'clock and then i need to do that other idea by the following week at eight o'clock yeah and you can put those times in and, and, and then you've got a plan in front of you i think that's a an interesting point you've made because often when i'm teaching uh teenagers how to map and their parents i do it by hand and um i'm i'm using something that i'm calling a bullet map system where where i get them to bullet point list down the side mind dump all their ideas and then move them into a structured map straight away rather than starting with a spidery map that is a bit random and confusing and disorganized and having to redraw it yeah and the point i'm making there is that is to embrace that sometimes there's a place for having things in lists and sometimes there's a place for then expanding it into a map and then moving it into a list and expanding it into a map and so on and this dynamic between the linear and the circular um creates this interplay that's very creative absolutely yeah and i think i uh, for me um i i remember actually um, one of my first roles that i had as a as, as a if you like a self-employed consultant was to work with a charity in london who wanted to work out their their marketing plan for the, for the years ahead but they needed to get a, a good sense of who they were as an organization because the the management had changed and had different priorities and and we did very much a, a similar thing we sat there and we 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 worked out we wrote down all the things that were really important to them in this group and then we turned it into a mind map and then we started to link it all and work out what what we could take from the mind map that would eventually give them a statement of what the charity was about and by doing that they they were able to build confidence in who they were when they were relating to other other organizations wanting to work with them yeah well i've i've um well a plug for me as it were is that this i've created this bullet map method which on one sheet of a4 they can do a kid can do that 
they bullet mm. point all down the left hand side and then they map it out in in the right hand side and then the bottom right hand corner it turns into the focus so it goes from random they mind dump they order it and then there's some sort of focus in the bottom right hand corner which might be what's the next best thing to do or you summarize those words into some sort of statement that is the headline of a story or or a post or a blog post or whatever it is. Um, John, I'm aware of the time and you've covered the mind mapping. Let's get to what advice would you give your teenage self? With everything that you've said, everything that you know now, and that you're, let's face it, John, you're probably dyslexic. You know, you say you're not dyslexic, but you know, it's pretty clear to me that you are. And I bet I'd really love to hear from you. You're saying you're mildly dyslexic. And I thought I was mildly dyslexic as well until I got assessed 10 years ago. Then I realized I'm significantly dyslexic. I'm not extremely dyslexic, but the tutor said, look, you're not mildly dyslexic. This is significant. There's things you need to deal with. Deal with them and you'll be fine. So what what would you give your advice would you give yourself as a teenager? If you could go back in time, if you could write a letter or or even a card, let's say a card, what would the front of the card say and what would the message inside the card say? I think it would say, stand up for yourself. I think um, one of the things that I look back on is, and what I encourage kids to do now and parents to help their kids do is is to build a sense of self-advocacy. What does it say on the inside? Stand up, for, Stand up for yourself and and get help mm. i assumed everything was normal that my experience was normal even though i knew that that i felt quite unique in front of all my friends and i think if i if i'd spoken to some of my teachers and and said actually i'm really struggling to revise i, I i'm almost falling asleep when i'm trying to revise and the information's not going in i just thought that was normal mm. and and actually um by by being open and and not assuming that this is your lot and that this is what you've got to deal with so it's so a man up and just do it uh, just live uh, with it yeah that's what i did yeah. and actually that that's not what i encourage people to do now I, I encourage people to say hey yeah i'm great with this but i'm struggling with this and i need help with that so stand up because for yourself and ask for help to your teenage self Right. Yeah. Now let's yeah. go back to the advocacy. So advocacy is where you basically um, stand up for yourself and just say, look, you know, this is what I need. Can you help me? How can you help me? Is that what you're talking about there? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking back to my daughter. If rather than, I mean, she was only very young at the time, but rather than commute, um, communicate that she hates reading, if, if she'd maybe gone into some detail, about what was behind the use of the word hate for reading, then that would have helped us to have perhaps a better steer on what we needed to do to support her. Um, now, she was too young to to maybe articulate that. and um, But I think as we get older, particularly if we're in our GCSE years, yes. if we are struggling to, to keep up or the note-taking is really hard in class or, you know, the, the teacher's changing the, the PowerPoint slide too quickly. It's okay to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I, I need some help with this. You know, I need you to allow me to use my mobile, mobile phone to take a picture. Yes. I need you to give me a bit more time to take the notes down. Yes. Um, I, 
if we if we can articulate more about how we're struggling in our studying, then I'm pretty sure that teachers mostly would want to hear that so that they can do something to help. Yeah, because they're there because they want to really actually help fundamentally. Of course. You don't go into teaching unless, you know, you you're motivated like that. Next question, what advice would you give yourself as a parent? It, um, what advice would I give myself as a parent? what stage would you yeah. send it to? Like, this is another card being sent back in time. What would it say on the front and what would it say on the inside? And at what okay. stage would you send it to? So um, I would send this card at every stage of being a parent. Um, and on the front of it, it would be the words, big picture. Big picture. And then inside, I would say, look beyond the behavior. Mm. what's causing the behavior what are they communicating by the way that they're behaving um, and this is um a a lesson that i've learned so many times in my family where my wife's told me john be the adult step back look at what's happening rather than just react to oh they didn't do as i said or they're not doing their homework or they're not tidying their bedrooms yeah you know actually just take a step back what what's going on um why why are you seeing that behavior brilliant john oh sorry i cut you off okay um we've covered a lot of dyslexia tools and that's the next section i think you've kind of covered it all and we're nearly at at our time um any bits of software that you 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 mentioned oh we we should mention jabla and your webinar that's coming up because that's all about software and stuff isn't it Oh, oh it is yes yes so um so I, I'm doing a webinar um, on the 21st, that's next Wednesday at seven o'clock, and um, I'm going to be giving an overview on assistive technology. So the aim of that is to help um, parents and teachers who want to be on the webinar get a sense of what's available. Uh, there's not going to be loads of demonstrations of software, but what I'm going to do is is talk about what types of software is available that can help and actually some hardware options as well okay. um, that, that can really help with with learning in, in the school environment and um and and what some of the benefits are of engaging with that that techno that technology well i'll make um, sure the link is in our show notes and um i'll give you the show notes at the end of this uh podcast and what about uh jabla what's that okay so Jabla is a is a company in Belgium that has been working for uh that's getting on towards 30 years now um the developing um assistive technology for um on one half of their business it's for um the physically disabled that can't speak um and then the other other side is is supporting um um people with dyslexia kids with dyslexia in schools with with a piece of software called Sprint Plus um, Sprint Plus is a piece of software that reads out text, um, and that literally there's hundreds of products that do that on the market. Um, what sets Sprint aside is that um, you can use it within Microsoft Word if you're writing essays. So what I said earlier about mind mapping and and converting that into a Word document, and then worrying about grammar and spelling, yeah. um, being able to get your resultant document and just go read and it reads it out to you yeah. it's very very easy to pick up on where the grammar's gone wrong because it sounds wrong it's kind of like um the experience of writing something leaving it coming back a couple of weeks time and rereading it and you go oh gosh is that why i actually wrote because what you're reading is often what you're thinking not what's on the paper but when you hear it read back um yeah you you then 
actually hear what it's actually saying, especially from an independent reader. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think um, we also one of my my weaknesses is that when I write pieces, I I write like I speak. Yes, and that doesn't always make sense in a written piece. Yes. So um, so Sprint Plus is great for for reading back and when you're really tired you've worked on something for three hours and you're missing all the mistakes you you can just listen to the text but it'll also do things like it will pick up on words that um sound the same but have different meanings that often people with dyslexia get confused yeah so for example i wear trousers and where do you go yeah the word where is spelt differently and they have different meanings but they, they sound the same so you can detect those as well john this is great and there's so much more i know you can share with us we're, we're right up at our time here um any final things that you want to share with listeners yeah i think um probably the the, the big one for me would be to um be open about your dyslexia journey mm. Talk to people, help people to understand what it's like for you and and reach out to people and get the help that you need. Thank you, John. That is great. It's a pleasure. Thank you. John, you've got so much more to give, which is very clear from this interview. And we are going to put in the show notes the link to your blog, the link to your Facebook group, because people can contact you through your parenting Facebook group. What's that one called again? It's called Parenting Dyslexia. Um Actually, the best way to get to all of my stuff, if, if your readers can go to parentingdyslexia.co.uk okay. and if they subscribe then on that website, then they'll get all of my blog articles and, and links to the Facebook group. Yeah, and useful emails and things like that as well. Absolutely, yeah. Brilliant, John. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's going to really resonate with quite a lot of parents. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This podcast was brought to you by Bullet Map Studio, and I'm your host, Darius Nomderon. We've developed the Bullet Map method of mind mapping. It's designed to help creative teenagers find creative order in the chaos of a dyslexic or hypercreative's mind. It's different than the normal way of learning how to mind map because that's normally trying to create more and more ideas and that's often the last thing a creative wants. They've got so many ideas already, they need to find a way to take those ideas and find focus. And that's the way we use mind mapping and teach mind mapping. So if you're interested in that, go to the show notes. The show notes have all of John's um, references in them as well. So if you've seen anything that John's mentioned or I've mentioned, then there'll be a hyperlink in the show notes that are attached to this. Go to bulletmapstudio.com forward slash 25. bulletmapstudio.com forward slash 25 and you'll find everything there. Hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in, because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, 
and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.